I'm going to talk about rationality, different kinds of rationalities and obesity. Um, might seem an odd thing to think about, but actually the idea of rationality is something that we use without thinking in everyday life. Uh, it's quite easily understood in terms of everyday practice, for example, when considering whether someone's behaving rationally or not. In such a case, rational behaviour can be seen as being internally cohesive to the person or to the group and making decisions based on the best possible outcomes using information without emotion. While this serves well for understanding much of human decision-making, it can't explain irrationalities um, in human behaviour or why people make decisions on the basis of sentiment, on the basis of attachment or emotion. Nor is it especially useful in relation to, to higher-order practices which involve complex decision-making and bureaucracy, as, for example, in most science and policy. Economics is in the fortunate position of being able to frame its rationality both individually and at higher levels. This helps higher-level economic models to be quite easily translatable into policy and to be understood in everyday life. Obesity can result from the breakdown of formal economic rationality and most models of obesity don't operate using this but engage using other kinds of rationality as better frameworks for understanding the emergence and persistence of population obesity as well as for understanding the predispositions to its development at the individual and at the population level. So I'm going to talk about the nature of different kinds of rationality and how they might relate to obesity. Then I go on to think about why rationalities are important for understanding how and why obesity is framed differently by different actors. Rationalities underpin all forms of institutional and organisational behaviour and practice, and models of obesity are implicitly grounded in them. They reflect different orientations to reality that weigh up means and ends of actions in pragmatic ways. When applied to models of obesity, they reflect, they reflect the different worldviews that scientists, policymakers, advocacy groups and people use in framing it as a problem. <clears throat> different forms of rationality carry different meanings according to discipline, be it economics, psychology, sociology, evolutionary biology or political science. Rationality is grounded in thinking that emerged in Europe with the rise of modernity from the 16th century onward in a world that was seen as being more open to transformation by human rather than godly intervention than ever before. Global transformation from this time onwards increasingly involved the activities of economic and political institutions, of industrial production and of market economies. Rationalities, <coughs> as I applied them to the understanding of obesity, originated with the discourses of John Locke, um, of David Hume and of Immanuel Kant with respect to the moral principles of human decision-making and action. By constructing a non-moral rational world characterised by the existence of self-governing reason for all people and not just for the rich and powerful, Immanuel Kant outlined the philosophical basis for social equality as well as for self-directed actions and of individualism. The philosophical principles underpinning present-day individualism are framed by Kant's instrumental principle towards self-directed actions. This principle is also embedded in normative institutional frameworks and principles to the present day. 
science and technology have been harnessed politically to frame norms and serve regulatory practices from the Industrial Revolution onwards. With respect to obesity, its problem, framing it as a problem for regulation, the identification of its causes by the application of technical criteria, and the call for individualism in its control all involve the application of Kant's instrumental principle. The validity of this principle is in part challenged when the call for individual responsibility for obesity control is challenged. While Locke, Hume and Kant and others established rationality as a moral principle in Western societies, Max Weber subsequently extended the principle to include all forms of practice throughout and thought in the modern world. Weber argued that the principle of rationality should be able to accommodate the global spread of Western thought and practice and the institutions that carry them, including capitalism and bureaucracy. If Kant's work could be used to explain the rise of individualism and its institutionalization, Weber's work could be used to explain its globalization beyond the West. With respect to population obesity, a Kantian explanation might be sufficient for its understanding in most Western societies, but a Weberian approach might better explain the rise of obesity across the non-Western world. Kantian rationality has embedded in its logic 19th century social evolutionism, which embraced individualism, capitalism and unilinear progress through the practices of politics and institutions. Weber challenged the completeness of this framing and built on it, first by proposing two forms of rationality, instrumental and value rationalities, in his book Economy and Society. He then subdivided these two into four types, practical, theoretical, substantive and formal, in his collected essays in the sociology of religion. Instrumental rationality is concerned with the moral principles by which temporary or conditional ends are chosen. Value rationality is concerned with the moral basis of choice of permanent ends that are valuable in themselves. Weberian practical rationality overlaps substantially with his earlier framing of instrumental rationality, while his substantive rationality overlaps with his earlier framed value rationality. Weber's practical rationality prioritizes expediency and pragmatic action in everyday life, weighing up means and ends, while substantive rationality, in his framing, orders action into patterns according to sets of values that vary in comprehensiveness, internal consistency and content. The latter type of rationality prioritizes action in relation to sets of values which can, be, which can include attributes such as loyalty, trust and mutual assistance, which can't, according to Weber, be demonstrated by scientific methods. Theoretical rationality involves conscious mastery of reality through the construction of precise abstract concepts rather than through action, and this is a particular property of science. It privileges logical deduction and induction, attribution of causality, and the attachment of symbolic meanings to abstract concepts. Formal rationality includes systems of economic, legal and scientific practice and the bureaucratic forms that link them. This form of rationality emerged, according to Weber, only with industrialization, and differs from practical rationality in its legitimation of means-ends rational calculations in relation to universally applied laws, rules 
or regulations. Decisions made using such calculations are arrived at without regard to people um, and their individual interests and this is a key feature of the modern bureaucracies that emerged in the 19th century and which have proliferated since. We moan about the faceless nature of the institutions we have to deal with and yet you know this is you know one of their fundamental characterizations. All models of obesity are underpinned by some or form or forms of rationality and what I try to do is with this, with, this, um, with this framing is to try and make them more explicit. Kantian rationalities are deeply embedded in scientific method, in principles of individualism and in institutional practice. Kantian rationality also informs Weber's practical and formal rationalities. In obesity science, the formulation of hypotheses belongs to the domain of Weberian theoretical rationality while experimental scientific procedures involve Weberian formal rationality. Obesity intervention and regulation engage both bureaucratic forms of domination and economics and are practically and substantively rational in the Weberian sense. Economic rationality emerged from William Stanley Jeevan's work on rational choice theory in the late 19th century and this takes individual behaviour as a starting point for economic analysis. In Weberian terms, it embraces both practical and formal rationalities. Economics is practically rational when people and organisations take the most appropriate courses of action to meet their economic aims, and is formally rational in its use of institutions and bureaucracies in meeting practical aims. In circumstances of bounded rationality, limitations of time and information make it impossible to make decisions that conform to rational choice theory. The idea of bounded rationality emerged in reaction to modern, unbounded versions of economic rationality. It comes from psychology, and in psychology, rationality is a normative concept that's used to examine reasoning and decision-making, which informs both of bounded rationality and behavioural economics. Psychological rationality involves coherence to individual norms and to normative theories of individualised behaviour involving logical reasoning, probabilistic thinking and decision-making, and it's underpinned by Weberian practical rationality. It's been invoked in evolutionary explanations of human behaviour. For example, Robin Dunbar, in his social brain hypothesis, attempted to reconcile two extremes of sociality, unequal and equal, in a human evolutionary framework. Where long-term reciprocity can help ensure evolutionary success, cooperation, reciprocation, honouring of commitments and keeping promises, all of these can be considered to be substantively rational in the Weberian sense. Such behaviour can also be explained as an outcome of self-interested choices, even among the most selfishly incentivised persons, and is therefore also economically rational. While psychological rationality can encompass Weberian substantive rationality as well as economic rationality at the level of the individual, it may also require coherence of behaviour in relation to individual and group norms. Such coherence of behaviour varies with context, however. Many studies have documented the various ways in which decision-making does not cohere, 
nor follow basic principles of logic. Rather, people regularly use intuitive strategies that are effective for much of the time, but which also produce biases. Such biases exist in perceptions of risk. To give an example, a study of emotion and risk in the United States after the 9-11 attacks in 2001 showed fear to increase estimates of everyday risk and anger to reduce them. The perceived everyday risks of handguns, cars and nuclear power in the United States are more closely related to the general dread they arise rather than to risk statistics, to give another example. As with dread and risk of accident by nuclear power, motor cars and handguns, so with food and eating. Ecological decisions involving the obtaining of food and eating involve perceptions of risks and benefits. While eating behaviours may be evolutionarily rational, risk attached to change in consumption pattern in relation to changed ecological circumstances are not easily intuited by people. Without feeding, there is no survival, and neocortical feed-forward mechanisms have evolved to create and maintain associative pleasures in food. Humans express such mechanisms to agree that is no, to a degree that is no, that no other species can in support of the ecologically based drive to eat. The pleasure of eating and overeating often foregrounds any perceptions of risk of obesity into the future. In addition to risk, human food consumption is considered economically rational and more or less bounded according to circumstances. The model of bounded rationality is being adopted for regulatory processes that involve structuring human behaviour. By linking ideas from cognitive psychology and psychological rationality to those of bounded rationality, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky put in place the framework for behavioural economics, um, of which nudge theory is an offshoot. Behavioural economics emerged in the 1970s. The nudge approach, very fashionable at the moment among many governments, um, this uses modified choice architecture as a mechanism by which to govern human behaviour, um, is favoured by the UK government for, and other governments for obesity prevention and control, among many other things. Nudge is used in policy by either harnessing unconscious biases or encouraging individuals to be more reflective in their choices. There are advocates both for and against its use in the regulation of obesity. Nudge is acknowledged by its authors as being a libertarian paternalist approach to present-day problems, but the nudge approach doesn't apply bounded rationality itself to itself. The manipulation of bounded rationality of individuals towards behaviours deemed by governments to promote well-being and obesity reduction is often in contradiction to governmental permissiveness of the market forces that have promoted obesity in the first place. Bounded rationality cannot adequately explain all aspects of seemingly irrational behaviour in relation to obesity. The decisions that individuals make about eating and personal body weight, for example, fail to take account for biology, where cognitive decision-making is accompanied by biologically-based emotional and impulsive responses. Emotion is strongly implicated in overeating and obesity production, as well as in decision-making and many other aspects of life. People rely on effective, affective reactions, both positive and negative, to speed up their judgments and decision-making, and this itself can predispose to obesity. 
Food consumption patterns that involve overeating can be considered rational in evolutionary terms, got to eat to survive, but they can also predispose to obesity. Biology is unconcerned about health and well-being beyond its contribution to reproductive fitness and reduced mortality. So the procurement, procurement, processing and consumption of food um, are all evolutionary rational practices that influence reproductive success and survival. This has to be contrasted with physiological fitness, which is the basis of physiological homeostasis, um, which has to be considered quite separately from reproductive or Darwinian fitness, and acknowledging that these two different models often recruit different types of rationality. Um, in most cases, either of the Weberian theoretical or evolutionary type. The rationalities that underpin different models of obesity are multiple and sometimes contradictory. Models of obesity can differ enormously in their theoretical underpinnings and objectives, and there are multiple, often conflicting rationalities even on a single branch of obesity science. This is one reason why turning obesity science into policy and practice remains very difficult. For example, the rationalities of consumer choice and behaviour in relation to food are not only economically, but also Weberian substantively, evolutionarily and psychologically rational. Meanings of obesity are also highly contested across the biological and social sciences, and this often reflects the engagement of different rationalities in the different sciences. Michael Gard, for example, has identified two broad camps competing for legitimacy in obesity studies. He defines them as being alarmists on the one hand and skeptics on the other hand. Alarmists, he includes the epidemiologists, the public health and medical specialists, the ones who claim that a health crisis is upon us and that the health and mortality risks associated with a looming global obesity epidemic are fast growing. So all those that are, you know, claiming obesity and an obesity epidemic. Um, this, the alarmists are overwhelmingly driven by Weberian practical rationality. Although their practices involve Weberian theoretical and formal rationalities. On the other hand, the skeptics, Michael Gard's skeptics, uh, repudiate the idea of obesity as a risk factor or a disease. In this field, obesity research includes feminist scholarship, fat activism, critical dietetics, cultural studies, queer studies, uh, anthropology, sociology, social geography, and the worldviews are overwhelmingly based in Weberian substantive rationality. It is rare to find critical fat scholars engaging with emerging scientific insights into obesity. They simply engage with very different rationalities to uh, uh, what Michael Gard calls the, the alarmists. Um, so to continue with, with, with Michael Gard, he views most social science um, that um, has critiqued mainstream obesity research um, he claims that it's paid very little attention to what has actually been published by such obesity science. It just doesn't engage. It's the science of obesity has simply been added by the skeptics to the list of sexist, racist and classist scientific discourses that have been the usual focus of academic critiques of science. There's no definitive standpoint among either alarmists or skeptics. 
with different rationalities underpinning what obesity and body fatness are for either broad camp, it's not surprising at all that alarmists and skeptics rarely see eye to eye. Beyond the alarmist-skeptic divide, various scientific models of obesity, genetic, epigenetic, developmental, obesogenic behavioral, obesogenic environmental, nutrition transition, biocultural, complexity, on it goes, lots of different approaches. They all engage with different rationalities, sometimes overlapping, sometimes not, especially when they also engage in policy where multiple, often competing rationalities are at play. Late modernity has penetrated most of the world and expert systems operate nearly everywhere. Exceptions lie where tradition prevails and the production of obesity might involve rationalities invoked in mutual assistance and loyalty, for example, according to conditions of modernity or tradition. So in many low-income countries and low- and middle-income countries, where we think of traditional societies, the production of body fatness might be guided more by aesthetics and reproductive success than by the, um, the, 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 the more... Um, more scientific and, and medical uh, approach to, 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 to the issue as a, as a health risk. This is certainly the case with respect to ritual fattening of people in, in rural Cameroon, for example. Um, different rationalities invoked when one thinks about aesthetics of bodies. Corporations, governments, medicine and public health generally share economic, barbarian practical and barbarian formal rationalities. Interest and advocacy groups may to some extent share many of the rationalities that underpin governments and corporations, but their activities may also be underpinned by their bearing substantive rationality. The dominant icon of obesity modelling is that of energy balance, which provides the underpinning logic to many other scientific models of obesity, including genetic ones, epigenetic ones, developmental, behavioural, environmental, biocultural and complexity models. The energy balance logic is also the basic logic that many obesity interventions draw on, whether they be weight management, dietary restriction, pharmacological intervention or obesity surgery. The energy balance model is underpinned by and engages with many forms of rationality in its scientific and policy use, which makes it a good instrument for engaging a wide range of actors but it also carries considerable ambiguity and potential for misunderstanding and misrepresentation between these actors. So, in sum, there's more than one way of thinking about obesity, and many people think about obesity in many different ways. In trying to structure the thinking around obesity in, as different forms of rationality, we can start to appreciate the shape of the landscape of both obesity research and obesity policy and it's something that I think to the present day has largely been uh, missing in the sort of in the obesity discourse. I don't know if this approach will help but uh, certainly um, it's been uh, um, helpful to be able to lay out this uh, landscape. Thank you.